Well, good morning, New Life. It's just so great to be with you. I love this church so much. Every time I come, I just my spirit feels strengthened and encouraged, and I just continue to be blown away with how God uses you um, to love and serve this city. So thank you so much for having me here with you this morning. So when um, Rich asked me to preach, um, he requested that I choose a passage from Matthew 6 or 7, and I learned later you guys are going through the Sermon on the Mount. And as I read through those chapters, um, in particular, Matthew 7, 7 through 10, jumped out at me. Is this working? Here we go. And it says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, on first glance, uh, this sounds pretty amazing, right? It sounds kind of like having your own personal vending machine. So I just put in a prayer, I press A7, and boom, out comes a Kit Kat. That's my favorite candy bar, by the way. I put in another prayer, hit B3, and boom, out comes Twix. Good stuff. That's my second favorite candy bar in the world. Because it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It sounds pretty straightforward, right? It sounds like Jesus is saying, just ask whatever you want, and God will give it to you because he's a good father who loves his children and loves to give good gifts to them. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. But here's the thing. If you have lived your life just even for a little bit in this world, you know that there are many times when you ask and you don't receive, when you seek and you don't find when you knock on that door and it does not open to you. Maybe you pray for a loved one to be healed. And, you know, I've prayed for people before, you know, many times over the years and have seen people miraculously healed. And sometimes you pray for someone and they're not. You know, maybe you have a child who is struggling and you don't know what to do and there's just no end in sight. You know, maybe... You long to share your life with someone, and yet you're still single. Or maybe you're married, and your marriage is going through a difficult time, and you don't know what to do. I mean, I could name a thousand different scenarios of times when we ask, and we do not receive. So how do we make sense, then, of this passage when it seems to run so clearly counter to our lived experience? So I wish that I had an answer, um, but I don't. I have to be honest with you, I, I don't have an answer. But what I have is a testimony. And when I read this passage, the thought 
came to me that I should share it with you this morning. And so I asked Rich if that was okay to do instead of preaching a sermon, and he said yes. Um, so I'm sorry if you're disappointed. You can blame it on, on Rich when he gets back from vacation. His preaching is really important to me. Um, but just that, that thought kept on persisting, and I thought maybe there's someone here this morning that God wants me to share this testimony with. So here it goes. So here is a picture of me and my husband, Jimmy. And early in our marriage, um, Jimmy and I had wanted to start a family. And like many newly married couples, uh, we had our whole lives planned out. We thought to ourselves, okay, for our first two years, it'll be just the two of us. We can have time together as husband and wife. And then after two years, we would start a family. So those two years went by, and then we began to start trying to get pregnant. And then six months went by. And then a year went by. And every month, the hope and the fears would rise. And I'd feel that stress when that time of the month came, and then disappointment. And after several years of just trying different approaches, counting the days of my monthly cycle, doctor's appointments, medication, fertility treatments, we were told by doctors that it would be nearly impossible for us to get pregnant. And I remember the summer of, 20, of 2007, it was very vividly, and I remember it very vividly. And I had just subjected myself for the last few months to these daily shots and blood tests. And if you're a woman who's ever been through a a similar experience, just having to subject your body to this process, you just feel so raw, so vulnerable in those moments. And so we were on our way to visit my sister Grace in Kyrgyzstan. She was a missionary there at the time. And it was then that I discovered that that fertility treatment had not worked. And I just grieved. I just grieved And the reality that we might never have children of our own just sank in. And I grieved just more than I thought that I would. I think I cried for like two weeks straight. And it's a strange thing to grieve something that you never had in the first place. It was grieving the loss of this future family that Jimmy and I always had envisioned that we would have together. It was grieving the loss, that desire that I had to have a child of my own. And I looked at Jimmy and I thought about how much he loved children and just what an amazing father he would be. And it just tore me up inside that he would never have that opportunity. So in Kyrgyzstan, there's not really anything to do. It's in the middle of nowhere. And so I spent a lot of time reading and praying, you know, and and perhaps I'm a a glutton for punishment, but I, I read every single passage in scripture that talked about barren women. So one of them was from 1 Samuel. It's a famous story of of Hannah who longed for a child. And so she goes to the temple. She pours her her heart out before the Lord. And so she's asking. You know, she's seeking. She's knocking on this door so hard that the high priest Eli thinks that she's drunk. And like almost every other story in Scripture about barren women, it says this. It says, And then the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. When I read that verse, it was like a knife 
to the heart. And the Lord remembered her. And she conceived and bore a son. And I asked God, so if I never conceive, does that mean that you've forgotten me? And in that moment, it felt like he did. So during that time, again, because there's nothing to do in Kyrgyzstan, I picked off a book. Uh, I picked off a book from uh, my sister's shelf called Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. And it had a chapter in there on discernment. Like, how do you go about discerning the will of God? And in that chapter, Barton talks about how when we, whenever we come to this task of discernment, that there are f- uh, several theological truths that we have to hold on to. And the first theological truth that she mentions is this that God's intentions towards us are deeply good. God's intentions towards us are deeply good. And I had been asking God in that dark time, God, are you good? Will you be good to us, for us? I don't know. And someone once said that in times of uncertainty that there are three questions that we ask of God, and that is, do you love me? Are you with me? And can I trust you? And I was saying to God in that moment, God, do you see me? Are you with me? Do you love me? Can I trust you? God's intentions toward us are deeply good, this book reminded me. In the midst of my sadness and that darkness, that theological truth was like a ray of light. You know, it didn't take away the sadness and that feeling of loss, but it reminded me of who God is and what he's like and what his heart is towards me, that he's a good, good father. That's who he is, that I'm loved by him. That's who I am, and it gave me hope. And so there'd be a couple times during dinner um, during that season where one of us would turn to the other and be like, so it's just you and me for the next 50 years. Don't get on my nerves. (laughs) (laughs) Sadly, that has not been the case (laughs) since then. But, you know, it made us realize that we had space in our lives to be family to people who don't have family. You know, to support our, our friends and our family members who had children, to be in relationship with their children. And I remember us saying, you know, going on a walk in Kyrgyzstan and saying, it's going to be really important that we're in community with children. You know, it meant that we had more resources at our disposal, you know, that we could share with others. It meant that we had more freedom to take risks, to just pick up and move. You know, that might be, it might be difficult to do otherwise. So six years ago, And Jimmy made a huge vocational move, and he left a senior position with a a prominent NGO, very secure, stable job, um, in order to lead Restore NYC that Dave talked about uh, this morning. It's a nonprofit that serves women who've been sex trafficked into New York um, internationally, and so Restore finds them and, and restores them. So Restore was a pretty young organization at that time, and it was far from certain whether or not they were going to survive, you know, their long-term sustainability. They took a, a huge pay cut in the process. It was a hugely risky move. But I have never seen him more excited, you know, more passionate than, than he is right now doing what he's doing. 
You know, a few years ago, they did this study on the women that they serve, and they, they discovered that 70% of the women that they serve are mothers. And mothers are more vulnerable to being trafficked because mothers would do anything for their children. And we saw how, you know, even though we don't have children of our own, that Jimmy is helping restore, become a safe place for these mothers to heal and be restored, and by extension, to be a blessing to their children. And I don't know if he would have taken that vocational, that financial risk, if we had had a family to support of our own. You know, I don't know if I would have been ordained as a priest, if I'd be standing before you right now. Now, I'm not suggesting that somehow these things make up for not having a child. And nor am I suggesting that if you do have children, that these things can't be true of you. But I want to give testimony to the fact that 11 years after that time, in Kyrgyzstan, if you ask me now, do you feel like God has forgotten you? I would tell you an unequivocal no. You know, we still don't have that desire of our hearts, but I can testify that I have experienced God's goodness and faithfulness and love in such a way that I could only say that my cup is overflowing and not empty. And the Lord remembered her. And I said earlier that that verse was quite painful for me to read during that time in Kyrgyzstan. And this Hebrew word for remember, it's a zakar, it's got a range of meanings. And sometimes it can mean mental recollection, like your, your memory. Um, sometimes it can mean verbal recollection, like if you're reciting something that you've learned. But it also has this relational aspect to it. So throughout the Old Testament, time and again, Israel is exhorted to remember. So for example, in Psalm 105.5, it says, remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Abraham, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord, our God. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. In other words, that word remember characterizes the covenant relationship that God has with his people. So when they remember him and how he's acted on their behalf throughout their history, it reminds them of who they are, who they belong to, and because of that, who they are to be in the world now. The God of their past is the same God of their present, and that means that he's the God of their future, and that's why they can face the future with faith and with confidence. And when it says that he remembers them that he remembers the covenant that he made with them, it means that he is acting in a way that is consistent with his covenantal character of love and mercy. It means he sees them, that he is faithful to them, that he cares for them. It means that he has not forgotten them. As it says in Isaiah, the Lord says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Even if she forgets, I will not forget you. Your walls, your face, your life is ever before me. That is his, the heart of the covenant God. He remembered Hannah, the simple woman who just had a simple desire 
to have a child. And she made her request known to him. And that child grew to become the greatest prophet in Israel, who anointed its first king, Saul, and anointed its greatest king, David, who was a forerunner of that even greater king, Jesus, the Son of God. And Hannah's simple story was woven into the even greater story of God's plan of redemption for the whole world. Like that day in the temple, when she was pouring out her heart before the Lord, she would have never dreamed of that happening. So a few years ago, um, a young woman, who I'll call Sarah, showed up at All Angels. She grabbed my arm after church, and she said, so I've been having dreams about Jesus, and I figured that I should probably go to church and learn about him. And she'd been a drug addict and an alcoholic, but she'd been sober for the past few years. She was trying to get her life together. And her mother had abandoned her when she was very young. She had a relationship with her father, but he was having troubles of his own. And she'd been bounced from relative to relative to relative. And she nearly destroyed her life with drugs and alcohol. But here she was. She was trying to find her path and find her way back to God. So we began meeting every week to pray and to study the Bible together. And it was just amazing to see. She had a gazillion questions about Jesus. You just see God giving her understanding about who Jesus is. And over the next few years, she enrolled in school. She graduated from a nursing program. She got a job. And at our parish retreat, I had the privilege of baptizing her in front of our whole church family. So a few summers ago, uh, my family, uh, my parents, my sisters, their husbands, and all of their kids came together for a reunion. And we had this wonderful day when, when my 12-year-old nephew at that time, David, was being baptized uh, by, by my dad and by his dad. And my dad was um, in the middle of giving this family devotional, just encouraging David and his, his life in Christ. And it was so wonderful sitting there. You know, my parents surrounded by their children and their children's children. And in the midst of this really joyful day, I felt a pang of sadness when I realized that I would never have a moment like this. You know, like I would never sit here with my children and my children's children and baptize the next generation of Christ followers. And in that moment of, in that pang of sadness, you know, I felt the Lord speak to me. And he said, Christine, I've called you to be a spiritual mother to women like Sarah, you know, to to people who've never had mothers of their own, you know, who need someone to show them and reveal to them my love. And it's funny because when a woman um, becomes ordained as a priest in the Episcopal Church, you know what they call her? Mother. And it's actually a little weird for me when people call me mother, so um, please don't call me that. (laughs) You can just call me Christine. Um, You know, right now, Jimmy and I, we're in this season of our lives. We're both in our mid-40s. We're surrounded by good friends. We have a wonderful family. We're active. We're thriving in our vocations. And our lives feel really full. We're so grateful for the lives that God has given us. But at the same time, it's not like we grieved once in Kyrgyzstan and then never again. Right? It's not like we're suddenly done with that. It's a process. You know, and we're very much aware that though we generally feel okay about it at this point in our lives and not having kids, that it may get harder as we get older. 
And especially in our, our later senior years of life, questions of who's going to take care of us? You know, will our lives feel sad and empty without kids? You know, will we feel regret, you know, that we didn't exhaust all of the options, that we decided not to pursue adoption? And that's a whole other story that I won't get into now. You know, we don't know what the future is going to be like. And so what we do today is that day after day, month after month, year after year, we throw ourselves on the love and mercy of the God of the covenant who is faithful to us. The Lord remembered Hannah. And you know what? He remembers Christine. He remembers Jimmy. He remembers you. And I don't know why things happen the way they happen for one person and not another. For every Hannah who conceives, there's a Christine who doesn't. And for every loved one who, who's healed, there's another loved one who's not healed. And yet, God is the same God of both. He's the same God of both. The God whose intentions towards us are deeply good who always remembers us, even when the end result is different. The God who weaves our little stories of joy and pain and loss and abundance and grief, and he weaves them in to his larger story that is also full of joy and pain and loss and abundance. He's with us. Yes, I confess um, that on my way here this morning, I was a little self-conscious about sharing this testimony with you. Because there's so much going, so many like important things going on in the world right now, right? There are people um, who are being separated from their families, kids separated from their parents at the border. There are these huge geopolitical events that are happening in our world, these issues that affect our, our communities and our, our nation. And it can feel kind of self-indulgent to talk about unfulfilled desires and longings and fears, and maybe I can come across like we're being self-absorbent, you know, too much so, just out of touch when there are bigger and more important things, bigger and more important fish to fry. You know, but that's the amazing thing about God. You know, as Jesus tells us time and time again in the Gospels, that he's the God of the universe who cares deeply about the world and he cares deeply about each and every one of us as well. You know, imagine like that little child in the story that Jesus is telling, you know, and he's going to his parent because he's hungry and he's asking for bread. And imagine that parent being like, don't you know there's a war in Syria happening right now? Don't you know there's refugees and don't have homes? Don't you know about the racial tensions that exist in our country? Where's your social consciousness? No dinner for you tonight. Here's a rock. You know, like, no parent would ever say that to their child. And Jesus says, then, if you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, and in Luke's gospel, Jesus speaks even more specifically, and he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And as I close, that's what I want to do this morning, to ask God for the Holy Spirit to come. You know, Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit as our comforter, 
our counselor, our friend, our advocate to come alongside us in our grief and our sorrows and our unfulfilled longings and our questions about the future and our doubts and our anger. The Spirit came alongside me that day, 11 years ago in Kyrgyzstan. You know, the Spirit comes to me now, and I have confidence that because he's the faithful God of the covenant, I can face the future. And that if and when that day comes, when I grieve again, when that those times of darkness come again, that I can be confident the Spirit will be with me then and walk with me. So I just want to invite you to bow your heads with me now. And this morning, maybe there are some of you who feel forgotten by God. You know, maybe you've been asking and seeking and knocking on a door that has felt shut. And I just want to encourage you this morning to name that in the presence of God. You know, just name that grief and that sadness and that fear. Just as the worship team uh, makes their way up here, I'm just going to give us a few moments to bring what is ever in your hearts this morning before the Lord. Just be honest with him. And then I'll close us in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Just come. Just minister, God, in the way that only you can. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the Holy Spirit, our friend, our counselor, our comforter. And God, we come to you, Lord, with our grief, with our sorrows, God, with those questions in our hearts and minds, God, we come to you with these feelings like maybe we've been forgotten. God, thank you that you are not a God who has forgotten us, but that you are a God who remembers your covenant with us. You are the faithful God. You are the good God. You're a good, good father, and that's who you are. And Lord, I want to pray especially for those of us in this room who are struggling with remembering that you are a faithful and good God. And Lord, would you come and just minister by your spirit, Lord, to my brothers and my sisters. Lord, would you come and show them your love, that you see them and that you have not forgotten them. And Lord, that though we may look to the future, God, and not know what's going to happen, Lord, though we may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, God, we fear no evil, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff comfort us. And Lord, we look to you. We set our hope on you. We set our hope on your love. We set our hope on the one who is the everlasting God.
who has loved us with an everlasting love. And so, God, would you strengthen our hearts this morning? Would you give us courage, Lord, to face whatever it is that we're facing, God, today and tomorrow, God, and in the years to come. And so, Lord, we bless you. Thank you for your promise that says that you will never leave us or forsake us. Even in the darkest of nights, you will never leave us. So come, God. We love you. We bless you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God's intentions toward us are deeply good. It's a great word. Let me invite the uh, prayer team to come forward to uh, your right and over here, those serving the Lord's table as well, to your, to your left. To be a disciple is to follow Jesus. And Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He turned the world upside down. It's all true. At the same time, to follow Jesus means that we follow him and that we too go through uh, a crucifixion. We, we die with him and then we're resurrected. In other words, the Christian life is one of, we end up in places like Christine's talking about, all of us, where we don't know what's going on. And where is God and what's he doing and where is he going? And it looks all twisted up. And these are the moments of the deepest, most profound transformations in our lives. It's not in our great successes, it's in our valleys, and it's in those moments where we just wonder if we're going to even make it. And uh, so as we close here, I, I want to invite you to, to turn towards Jesus and not away from him. Because enormous temptation at moments when we're at a wall or we're just feeling Scott's breaking us, is you get really angry and just say, I'm quitting here. The great news is you may quit on Jesus, but he's not quitting on you. And he's going to keep pursuing you and coming after you and calling you friend because his intentions towards you, he loves you, and he is deeply good. And his future for you is deeply good. And you may not see it, and I may not see it in the big, big story of God. He's working out in history. But somehow our little stories work out in his big story. And our little stories are really important. So let me invite you as we close here, if you need prayer, because we need each other to, to make it through this. I mean, you're not going to make it alone. We need the Holy Spirit's power, and we need each other. So that's why we have these prayer teams every week, to come and receive prayer. And I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer before you leave here today, um, because so God can infuse power into you to stay with Jesus when everything in you wants to run. Those friends are the most important moments in our walk with God. They're actually... I consider the most important moments in our lives. And so, so come for prayer. Let us pray for you. we got the Lord's table here to eat and drink of the broken body of Jesus and drink his shed blood for us. And uh, I mean, Christine, thank you because, I mean, it is just, it's the message of, of the gospel that God receives broken, humble people and he resists the proud. So if you're broken here, we're all on the same level playing field. doesn't matter your economic worth or your education or your color, your skin or culture. We come before God in the name of Jesus alone, in the righteousness of Jesus alone, broken before him. So let me pray. I want to speak a blessing to you as, we, as you leave here and the altar teams are going to be open. <coughs> so may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you and may his face shine on you. And now may the Holy Spirit fill you to overflowing. And may the love of Christ invade you. Every pore, 
every cell of your body, your mind, your heart, your soul. May the love of Jesus just soak in you. And may God create in you the, the trust of a child that though you may not know where you're going, that you may be able to trust Jesus, that he knows where you're going. So I bless you as you leave here that your life may be a blessing to all that you touch as you leave this place. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Thank you, everybody. God bless you.